and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Stacey Harris, one of the founders of Dragon Bites and a paediatric trainee here in Wales. This week we have another revision podcast. It's from Dr Graham Shortland, a paediatric metabolic disease consultant, and Dr Ashton Javade, the other founder of Dragon Bites. They discuss together metabolic disease and intellectual disability. Let's get started. Welcome again, everyone. I'm Asim Javed, one of the um, presenters of Dragon Bites podcast. And yet again, I'm joined by the absolutely fantastic Dr. Graham Shortland, who's going to be giving us some more teaching on um, inherited metabolic diseases. So I think the plan for today, Dr. Shortland, was to discuss um, intellectual disability. Yes, I think that this is perhaps a, um, a problem that faces many trainees, faces many consultants, faces us all in terms of um, children um, who present with um, intellectual disability and uh, what is the nature of the investigation that we should be doing. Um, and like the other presentations that I've given, um, this is really giving you food for thought. Mm. Um, there are a huge range of disorders that we may need to consider, um, yeah. but this will give you food for thought around um, patients presenting with intellectual disability. So, so just getting into it, I mean, are there any specific points or highlights that we need to consider quite early when we're thinking of patients presenting with intellectual disabilities? I, I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's really important that, um, and again, none of us will get this right all of the time, but clearly we are not going to be investigating every child we see with some degree of developmental delay. Mm. Um, and we'll talk about some indicators um, uh, later on in, 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 the, in the podcast. Um, but that clearly, I think, with isolated speech delay, mm. I think that in children with mild or moderate um, isolated psychomotor delay, um, that one um, has to consider um, carefully whether you would launch into investigation for those patients. Certainly, I think that the red flags where one would look very hard in terms of uh, widening the, the investigation net would be in those patients um, that have static developmental delay, uh, those that have severe developmental delay, and the one that really stands out is the patient that has developmental regression. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps the example par excellence of developmental regression is the presentation of the patient with Sanfilippo syndrome. Um, and that's an autosomal recessive condition, so that may not have presented in the family before. Um, uh, sadly, we don't have treatment for that disorder, but in terms of giving the family advice uh, around future children, it is important to make that diagnosis. And these children may appear normal in the first few years. They then present as very hyperactive children. They may have significant um, diarrhea and disturbance of their bowel habit and they gradually lose skills, particular of note, they may have acquired speech skills, which they then begin to lose. Mm. And this group of patients, whilst they, um, I think contrary to the textbooks, they do actually have some symptoms, of, they do have signs of coursing with features that may not be that marked, so mm. it may not be noted. Um, and so the, in those patients, static um, uh, development or developmental regression, particularly with speech, is going to be the marker that says we really need to investigate this patient fully. Yeah, I know this is a brief aside, but San Filippo, I can remember, recall that from my examinations, but for the life of me, I can't remember what actually 
has gone wrong from a metabolic perspective. So, so San Filippo is a mucopolysaccharidosis. Mm. Um, it's one of the lysosomal disorders. It's a, it's a, lysos it's a mucopolysaccharidosis, a storage disorder. Mm. It's MPS type 3. Mm. Um, and I think that um, in terms of the, um, the important thing is the analysis of the urinary gags, the glycosaminoglycans, yeah. to seek that urgently. Again, if you've got a high clinical suspicion, you need to con um, further discuss that with the lab because sometimes in that type of um, mucopolysaccharidosis and also in perhaps in type uh, in other some other types you don't always see uh, an abnormality and you may need to can go on and do further enzyme studies but certainly the urgent test would be to do a glycosaminoglycans hmm. uh, because these patients sadly there is no treatment for them um, and they may then die in their teens or early 20s but once again the important thing for the family will to be informed of the diagnosis so they don't actually so they have the ability to decide whether they want future family and we can offer um, um, advice during a future pregnancy. Sure, Th thank you for clearing that up yep. just for my yep. own sake. Yep. Um, so I was thinking back of what you said, I know we've mentioned a few red flags here, um, but thinking about the fact that in, you know, particularly in community paediatrics, um, intellectual disability is probably very common, as is a degree of of developmental delay so I mean in this sort of realm where do we draw the line between those we investigate and, and those we don't? I, I, th I, th I think that um, clearly um, from a history hmm. uh, again we're going to have um, uh, po the possibility of a sibling who may be undiagnosed hmm. um, and uh, that would be important in terms of recognizing again that one would wish to raise the ante in terms of investigation of children where there may be two children with similar um, presentations. Um, again, most of the conditions are also recessive. Um, uh, some of the mucopolysaccharidosis are not, but um, it, again, I think where there's a strong family history of, of, of a similar problem. I think that, as I already hinted at, um, isolated developmental delay is unlikely to um, it results um, in a positive investigation for other causes. It's where one has a number of different factors that are coming together. And I think that where you have a history of, um, for example, um, developmental delay plus um, hypertonia, uh, where you might have developmental delay plus um, any other system really, where one, one's talking about uh, cardiomyopathy, one's talking about liver disease, one's talking about dermatology, um, mm. eczema. I mean, I suppose the um, from a condition point of view, the presentation of developmental delay with eczema and perhaps um, some degree of metabolic acidosis might suggest biotinidase deficiency to you. And biotinidase deficiency is one that we don't want to miss. This can present during the neonatal period. And that I think that a simple blood test, um, and then this is probably one of the most satisfying conditions to treat, the use of biotin can actually transform children with significant developmental delay um, to children who then subsequently develop normally. Mm. So again, it's not just a developmental delay, it's a history of perhaps abnormal breathing, which is a, suggestive of the, uh, the metabolic acidosis, with the eczema um, it is the key to the underlying diagnosis um, of the uh, developmental problems or the, the intellectual disability. Uh, another question, yet again, my yep. own curiosity jumping in. So with the example of biotinidase, um, if you know you can treat it, 
But do these um, children then get a degree of developmental catch-up or is the damage that's been done always present? The, the, we, we have seen a number of children where we have seen significant um, catch-up with developmental delay. Hmm. You're right that in a number of the conditions we see where we may be able to institute treatment that we are actually um, uh, trying to hold the disease. But certainly biotin disease deficiency, that's why it's so satisfying. The use mm. of biotin um, can result in children with significant developmental delay then um, developing normally. And we've had a number of cases where that had been the case, hence the need to consider that um, as a diagnosis. Oh, brilliant, thank you. So we, we discussed a few elements um, from the history there that are key. Was, it, was there anything else from the history that would help? I suppose the other um, examples um, would be um, the presentation of, and we're, we're moving between history and examination really, sure. is, is the, the, uh, the presence of other dysmorphic features. Mm. Um, and I think that that as well could prompt more obvious investigation. So family history, some uh, um, metabolic disorders may present at birth. And I think um, some of the proxosomal disorders like Zellweger's, um, some of the congenital disorders of glycosylation, which can present with a varying number of symptoms. And again, I think any history of a child presenting in the neonatal period with constellation of symptoms, um, one should be considering um, uh, screening them for congenital disorders of glycosylation. Um, lysosomal disorders will come on in a minute in terms of the presentation of uh, physical presentation. Um, Smith-Lemliopitz is mm. a uh, metabolic disorder that can present in the neonatal period with micro microcephaly with the unusual faces. Um, and again, the mitochondrial disorders. We talked about a lot of acute presentations last time. Mitochondrial disorders, which result in, my, in intellectual disability, can present very rapidly, perhaps not after two or three days. So I think the number of the disorders with intellectual disability may present already at birth with signs and symptoms. That's different to some of the acute metabolic disorders like fatty acid oxidation, urea cycle disorders that we said mm. require that one to two days, that first 48 hours, um, when they've lost the placental protection. That's really interesting. Was there anything else from physical examination? Is it largely... Yeah, so I think this is, this is where we get into a really um, important area. Um, mm. So you've got your child, you have your child with intellectual disability, you perhaps are seeing quite severe intellectual disability, severe developmental delay. Mm. What are the aspects of the um, examination that give you further clues as to where you do, where you do investigate? And I suppose what we, if we start sort of head down, there's general dysmorphic features. And I think it is really important to consider jointly investigating these patients with the geneticists, where you've sometimes got features that you don't recognise or you're not sure. Um, let's get a geneticist and let's see what they think of those features. So, and again, these features are sometimes difficult. Um, coarsening of features in the classic mucopolysaccharidosis, mm. such as with a, perhaps a Hurler-Shea patient, um, can be difficult. I've seen a number of uh, mild Hurler-Shea, i.e. at the Shea end of the syndrome, that have taken a long time to diagnose. When I see them, it's very obvious that they have coarse features um, and they might have presented with the joint abnormalities um, and some degree of intellectual disability. So dysmorphic features just looking, um, I think the, the geneticist called it 
guessed out. You just look at the child and you yeah. suddenly get what's wrong with them. So dysmorphic features, coarsening of features. Um, hydrocephalus, um, again, you could polysaccharidosis, these, Herlachet, Hunter syndrome. Mm. You can present with um, hydrocephalus um, uh, in those conditions. Coming down in terms of cardiomyopathy, cardiomyopathy with any really metabolic condition is important. Um, and also um, hepatosplenomegaly. Mm. Um, hepatosplenomegaly, again, in presentation um, of uh, lysosomal disorders um, and uh, looking for, for that abnormality. One other specialist um, that um, I find very useful um, is also where you think there may be an underlying um, uh, metabolic condition is the use of the ophthalmology services. Mm. So um, making sure that you have a proper look at the eyes. Now, um, I'm sure you as a paediatrician are very good. I'm, I'm not so good. Um, but you can sometimes see cherry red spots present. I've um, diagnosed patients with cherry red spots and sent them to ophthalmologist. Corneal clouding um, uh, can present. Um, we can see cataracts in some of the, the problems. Um, so it is really important as part of your full assessment of physical abnormalities to actually um, get an ophthalmology assessment. What I've not mentioned is probably joints and sometimes you can see characteristic perhaps claw hand again as a mucopolysaccharidosis um, and abnormal posture in terms of the examination. Inverted nipples of the congenital dislocations, disorders of glycosylation um, uh, present like that. Um, and um, general disorders of tone, mm. uh, which may require a joint um, consideration um, with the neurologist and what sort of pattern of abnormality of tone is this. Um, so those are some of the things that I would look for in terms of extending the, um, uh, the metabolic investigation. I suppose the other thing is the general behaviour of the child. I would include significant behavioural problems as perhaps um, sometimes being related to presentation of, of metabolic disorders. Um, I think that once again, it, these can present in so many different ways. Um, um, but that's a starter for 10 in terms of the sort of investigations, that, uh, the sort of reasons that one would then go on and do further investigations. That, that's really helpful. Thank you. I, I was just thinking briefly about what you mentioned about the sort of like gestalt thinking around a lot of these things, because, you know, for, the, for certainly for our junior colleagues, the, the very subtle end of, of, you know, dysmorphic features are often difficult to pick up. So I suppose there's a point in for the juniors to get someone more experienced mm -hmm. to review your patients if you are thinking along these lines and perhaps to have a low threshold to get a, a senior opinion if you're thinking someone su yeah. has subtle signs of dysmorphic oh, features. I think so. And we all know, don't we, as trainees, it, it, explaining that they're doing that initial disclosure. I mean, the one par excellence is the initial disclosure to a parent that their child might have Down syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're being a bit more subtle now, um, you know, using those terminologies. Well, yeah, it, it, does, does he look like his parents? And there are various different ways mm. to do this, which I'm afraid you, you just have to learn by watching other people that are good at doing it. Mm. But there is something around senior colleagues um, um, for example, angel woman syndrome, um, a number of us have seen that and we know what that looks like. Um, senior colleagues looking as well as our genetic colleagues looking and as I say, I think sometimes um, the other thing is the, the ophthalmologist. The one I potentially missed there was um, the um, severe short-sightedness with developmental delay mm. um, and the abnormal um, 
well in terms of their size and their height and um, with um, uh, homocystinuria we would hope not to see that as much now because we've started in the last few years to screen for homocystinuria yeah. but there'd probably be a lot of unscreened children out there well not a lot but a number <laughs> of, of patients out there with homocystinuria and certainly again the reason for looking at the eyes is that if you see a child with severe um, myopia um, think about screening for homocystinuria with their plasma amino acids and um, sometimes urine amino acids although I must admit that um, urine amino acids are not used as much as we previously did. So while we're on the subject of you know testing, during our last podcast we did a lot of discussion around what tests we need to do uh, for the acutely unwell child. Yep. Um, are there any tests we should be considering in a child who's otherwise well but we might be thinking about an underlying metabolic condition alongside yeah. all of those that we've discussed so, previously? So I think that um, we come back to, so we, we've got a child, we have our child with intellectual disability, we have our child who um, perhaps um, has some mild dysmorphic features and you think has slight coarsening of features um, 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 but you're not sure. Um, don't forget the um, consideration again of other general um, metabolic conditions. I mean, um, delayed development and thyroid function. Every child should have their thyroid function as part of neonatal screening. However, there are other causes that may not be picked up by screening, and also children that come in from other countries. Um, uh, so you don't want to miss hyperthyroidism with developmental delay. So make sure that's done. I think um, also we can consider um, a number of these disorders are going to be underlying genetic disorders um, and we know that we're doing DNA array testing, fragile X testing mm. and I think um, uh, I did touch upon in the last podcast um, uh, the use of the whole genome sequencing. We are moving into a new era which um, uh, juniors such as yourself and other more junior colleagues uh, in 10 years time then you will be using whole genome sequencing in a whole range of situations including intellectual disability and including the, the sick presenting child in uh, in PICU and also the sick presenting neonate and whole genome sequencing is likely to be the way forward to more rapidly diagnose um, rare disorders. That is not to say that we should, we should use other metabolic biochemical testing um, to actually get to the bottom of these disorders. So um, creatinine kinase I think is an important one in terms of um, looking have we got muscle involvement um, so um, um, and is that muscle involvement part of uh, mitochondrial disorder um, the lactate plasma lactate is very crude for the diagnosis of mitochondrial disorders um, but nevertheless a significantly raised lactate with a CK um, would be important um, with intellectual disability perhaps in terms of diagnosis of a mitochondrial disorder um, I think that um, you will have done the routine biochemistry in terms of renal function, um, liver function, and uh, also your bone function. I think that's important just to look for any any indicators there. But what you're then doing is moving on really in terms of more specific metabolic testing. And I think that it would be important to certainly urinary glycos minor glycans for underlying um, MPS and stroke light. Um, lysosomal disorders, they will usually also do the urinary oligosaccharides again for those underlying disorders. 
I think urine organic acids are important. We picked up a number of milder uh, methylmalonic acidemia patients and others through urine organic acids. Generally, the laboratory here doesn't favour using urine amino acids and are very confident if we make sure we use plasma amino acids. We had recently, well, um, a little while ago, patient with developmental delay, but but again, the clue was it wasn't just isolated developmental delay, it was um, significant gait disturbance and other uh, abnormalities in neurological tone. Um, and that child was picked up on plasma amino acids, which I think are important to do, as having an arginase deficiency, which is very rare. Um, and we also then screened the other sibling, and unfortunately the other sibling also had it. So plasma amino acids are important. I think plasma acyl carnitines um, are important in terms of, uh, again, underlying diagnosis, and that would help with, uh, um, again, MMA and some other disorders. Um, glutaric aciduria type 1 um, sometimes can present with, in, with the urine organic acids. That probably is another um, uh, presentation that, that, that increasingly trainees are going to come across, and that's the child um, with macrocephaly and the child who may have had evidence of frontal lobe intercerebral bleeds mm -hmm. um, and um, the increasing awareness, um, certainly in children with, uh, undergoing safeguarding procedures, um, of the fact that glutaric acidemia type 1 can present um, without abnormalities, you can get non-excretors without abnormalities um, in the urine organic acids or abnormalities within acyl carnitines. Mm. So we have had a number of patients that, just to be absolutely sure, where we have had to perform um, skin biopsy and look at the uh, enzymology to exclude glutaric acidemia type 1 mm. um, because um, uh, that can be confused with frontal lobe bleeding um, uh, development of macrocephaly and clearly um, the child who may have actually had um, physical abuse as opposed to having an underlying metabolic disorder. Um, some protocols mention lead um, as a cause for intellectual disability but I don't think in Cardiff we've got much lead around but I think if you're in North England or Scotland or somewhere like that you may also um, um, find lead present. Very long um, chain fatty acids also uh, would be um, important and I think that's not an unreasonable um, first screen. Again, depending upon what the physical abnormalities are that you find in discussion with your neurologist, your geneticist and your specialist uh, metabolic um, clinician. One one <laughs> last thing, I think, yeah. I, think you, I think in terms of um, where we get to um, is it's rather like um, it's 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 the same scenario in this group of patients as um, the patient who sadly doesn't make it in the acute phase. Mm. There are going to be patients um, um, where I think that we still don't make a diagnosis, mm. and I think um, for me in terms of deciding um, how much further, because any doctor, however clever or however daft they are, can always do another test. Hmm. Will that test, in all probability, result in a positive result? And and we as paediatricians are acutely aware of the fact that um, doing a blood test um, is a difficult thing for a child. If we need to do it, we need to do it. Yeah. But um, I think that, that, that that's important. And I suppose the, the other thing would be, the one I didn't mention um, was the use of uh, MRI and MRI spectroscopy. I think that's important and sometimes EEG can give us important abnormalities. So other um, 
ways of screening children through um, uh, neuroimaging are um, very important. But so there may be times, however, when we, we don't make the diagnosis, and I think then that means that um, you make you take all reasonable steps with your neurologist and your geneticist and your metabolic doctor. That I think is going to change with the with us more using more frequently whole genome sequencing. Mm. Um, but sometimes you you come to an agreement, you come to a contract with the family that they don't wish to have any further investigation and that they, there is a point where we would assist that child in optimising its development with speech therapy, with physiotherapy, with many other things, but particularly where perhaps the family have reached the point where they don't want further children and where there is not, that they may decide that that is enough investigation. Mm. That is not to say that, again, and, and I think once again repeating around whole genome sequencing, there are possibly many patients I've seen over my career um, that four or five years ago one might have said okay we've done enough let's just wait and see but where we might be reconsidering investigating them again that is not to say that whole genome sequencing does not come with its own problems and many of your juniors will already be aware of patients who have reports where sometimes the mutation is of unknown significance mm. and I've had patients very recently with peroxisomal disorders um, where there is an unknown mutation um, and the question is that this child is only mildly affected um, are you going to tell the parents that that child is affected with a proxosomal disorder or is it completely unrelated and is it a, a mutation of unknown significance? So lots of challenges ahead with yeah. whole genome sequencing. But I think there is, there is the child in whom sometimes we say, stop, we've done enough investigation. The family do not wish to have any further information with regard to their future risk in future pregnancies because they're not going to have any more children. Mm. Um, and who perhaps we say, okay, let's come back. And the geneticists are probably better at this than, 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 than us, who say, come back in two or three years' time and we'll think again about where we go. Yeah. So, so you will sometimes reach the end of this diagnostic um, uh, um, trail um, and you may, with the parents, say, let's stop, we've done enough, and then let's just wait and see. Lovely. Thank you very much again, uh, Dr. Shorten. That's been very enlightening. So, um, quick key messages to take Quick home. key messages are that isolated speech delay and isolated mild to moderate psychomotor delay mm. probably not got an underlying metabolic disorder. Yeah. If, however, both in terms of the history with other family members um, um, or on physical examination with perhaps the dysmorphic features with involvement of another system, particularly neurological systems, then I think um, you would be looking to further investigate, certainly in the child that presents with static um, uh, development or the child that presents with regression um, mm. in development, you must throw the book at them in terms of investigation. Always consider further engage engagement, certainly, obviously, with your, um, as far as the trainees are concerned, with your um, senior boss in terms of um, getting advice. Has that, have they seen that child, be that type of presentation before? Mm. Um, and I would also do not infrequently advise my other consultant paediatrician colleagues that refer to me, consider the geneticist um, and consider the neurologist um, mm. because they may be able to assist you in making the diagnosis and advising further investigations, both genetic and perhaps in particular neuroimaging. Lovely. Thank you again, Dr. Shortland. Thank you. Bye. Thank you both again for another brilliant podcast. Just to go over what was discussed. They discussed when to further investigate intellectual disability, the red flag signs to look out for,
some of the points in the history to look out for, and the signs on examination, the signs associated with various metabolic diseases, and the use of the MDT meeting, for example, ophthalmology, neurology, and geneticists. Also, the test to consider undertaking in the investigation of intellectual disability. Thanks again. Join us next week when we have the Abdominal Examination Pub Quiz. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, let others know about us, find us on Twitter, dragon underscore bites, and check out our website, www.dragonbitespodcast.com.